Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 102nd episode of the Truth Island podcast. As we enter into our new year, an important question that one should always be asking themselves is how exactly am I going to be remembered in the future? There are a multitude of different ways in which man has attempted to ossify his legacy. For the ancient Egyptians, monumental pyramids that would sometimes take decades to complete, often continuing construction long after the original pharaoh who commissioned such structure had long since passed away. For the Greeks, bold philosophical ideas that would live on in people's mind for centuries to come. And for the Romans, bold conquest and military victories that would solidify one's reputation as being one of the great emperors. The modern day notions of legacy in some ways share similarities with the past, but in other ways differ. For example, unlike the Egyptians, modern day man has become somewhat aware that statues and monuments can all be taken down and that streets can easily be renamed. While it is certainly possible to buy one's name on the wing of a library, we tend to forget names, but have a better recollection of accomplishment. For example, everyone is familiar with Abraham Lincoln, who died as one of our poorest presidents, but not so much the presidency of John Tyler, who was one of our richest. Indeed, ideas, accomplishments, bold actions are a much greater stepladder into the pages of history than any amount of money that we can buy. Most people, however, do not remain as grandiose in their desires. Instead, taking solace that their legacy will continue onward with their children and grandchildren. While this is certainly true, the stopwatch begins ticking from the moment you pass away to the moment when the last person to have interacted with you also ceases to be. While some might not even care if they were are remembered at all, desiring to simply enjoy their life in the here and now, life can often become rather meaningless if a person does not feel as if they are part of something that will live on long after they do. In many respects, legacy is one of our true chances to form some type of eternal glory. Joining me to help find that glory, I am once again joined by Alexander. Alex, let's make this episode one for the ages, shall we? Oh yeah, let's do it. I've been carving uh, your face out of marble uh, this entire week. It's a little disfigured, but I think it's you know it's 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 kind of like that uh that that like interesting style of carving where it's completely off um off of the the, the reality page, I guess. Um, sure, right, right. Just make sure that you know you make me with you know big you know six pack abs. Big oh, you're packs, jacked. Right? <laughs> yeah, seven feet tall. The rock. You're stepping on the rock's throat. You know, it'd be funny, move. man. It'd be funny if a lot of the, imagine all of these Greek guys were like extremely like morbidly obese, but all of their sculptures were just made to look beautiful, right? Wouldn't that just be like the biggest uh, practical joke of history? <laughs> you know what though? Everyone would remember them if they all had dad bods and coffee the Western world. That would just be... You know, it's almost like an early version of, of the selfie, I guess, you know, like everyone, yeah. um, you know, these guys were wow, taking shirtless selfies way before the rest of us <laughs> and then right. hoped, hoped, hoped they would get comments on it. <laughs> right. Except they would remain in pose for about a week. Yeah. The artists like got the basics down. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. Absolutely. That's also why they say that, like, if you look at early photographs, 
you'll notice that no one is smiling and people think, oh, well, people were just meaner and nastier back then. And it's actually because you actually had to stay in that pose for like five minutes for the photographer to actually put like that little tent over his head and actually take the picture. So it was really hard to maintain a smile for like five or six minutes while you were waiting uh, for the photographer to do that. That's why. Yeah. I always thought it was because of their teeth. It could, you know, maybe some people were teeth conscious, but it was also just like a, like, it's really, if you're smiling, it's really hard to hold that down for like, you know, five, six, seven minutes. So that's why everyone kind of looks angry and pissed off while they're waiting because it's taking so damn long. <laughs> wow. That's, that's very interesting. Isn't it funny how the whole idea of remembrance goes from oral tradition to material tradition, to capturing the light, to now capturing the AI? Mm -hmm. of, of the consciousness of a mind i mean i wonder like what our version of statues are going to be i guess the closest thing now we have is instagram yeah i i think that um you know w w when we like first off one of the interesting things about this time period is that there's never been so much opportunity for people for for regular folk like you and i to create legacy because usually the writers of history were usually the most educated members of society who could actually read and write, right? In order to be remembered, you had to know how to read and write. And this was like a luxury afforded to very few people. So never, never has it been before that so many just regular people are able to kind of etch and sort of document their stories down for the world mm -hmm. to see, which is because most of history is told through the lens of like pretty darn victorious wealthy people. So this is like one of the first times that we can actually look at history right. through like the eyes of a bus driver or just some working class guy. And I think that's pretty awesome. Mm, that is pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a little bit more meritocracy and how those uh, stories are getting told for sure. Yeah. For sure. But it also kind of mutes. It also, I think it, you can also make the argument that it, mutes some stories too just because there's so much content and you know the the avenues in which that content is commercialized mm -hmm. isn't really always about how significant of a story it is sadly i agree man it, it's um it, where our attention is definitely distracted to say the least we definitely don't have like a, a linear progression of of history and events anymore like the internet has completely scattered our our attention span and in, into what we're focusing on you know i think that's good in terms of our subject matter here right is because we can use the internet to remember all sorts of things we can use the internet as a tool to almost transport us into a different time where we have no memory mm -hmm. of, for example, where we were talking about the photographers and you know, it's not so much about them living poorly. It's that they lived in a time when it took five minutes to take a single photo. <laughs> so, you know, in, in terms of remembrance, I think that the internet, we have access to, to that information as well as the access to a distributable opinion, a personal opinion that's easy to distribute on that. And this is where I think the modern era has skewed a little bit of what memory is, because I'm noticing that memory is now a commodity that's being exploited on the internet. And it's not so much about the romanticism of a, of a memory, the romanticism of a person, how, you know, it's water under the bridge, lives come and go, we lived, we died. We lived happy at the end of the day when you're in front of that casket it's usually all positive things it's usually mm -hmm. how can i pick the poetry how can i 
express this memory and something that passes on a lesson. You know, that's like one of our core mammalian features, right? Is to pass on these lessons. Do you think internet is hurting that possibility by having too many exacts, too many pins on where you were, too many hashtags? Do you think internet hurts or helps that? It depends on what's being archived and it depends on what's being documented. So I'm tell, I'll am tell you what is hurting that. When someone goes on Instagram and Facebook and says, wow, what a you know great dinner I'm having at this restaurant. I don't really think that's helping your legacy all that much. Like eating a gourmet meal is not really an accomplishment. It's something, it's something enjoyable and it's nice that you're sharing that. But I, I think that that is a confusion with real accomplishment. And I think people maybe want to curate and be a little bit more selective in what they're deciding to archive about themselves. You know, like I think maybe maybe you won a certain accolade at work or maybe you just wrote your first novel or maybe like I think those things might might, might, might benefit us greatly if what we're advertising about ourselves or genuine accomplishments as opposed to things that we purchased or things that we enjoyed. So I, I think we, we always have that power to kind of shift what we're sharing with people. Well, let me ask you this. What do you think would be your most significant accomplishment? If you could fast forward to the final three days of your life <laughs> and you looked back on your life and you said, I had to pick one accomplishment, one accomplishment that people can point to and say, I did that. What do you think it would be? You know, th- that's, man, that's, that's a, that's a fantastic question. And, and the future is highly unpredictable. So I have no idea what I will go <laughs> on to accomplish or not accomplish. I would like to, to be remembered as someone who got others to start thinking again, that, mm. that if I could be remembered as that, as a great thinker and, and somebody who encouraged, who saw the potential of humanity and saw the potential in others, I think that would actually be a really great way, you know, and again, I think one of the, one of the, I can tell you one of the legacies that I admire the most is the legacy of Socrates, because I think mm-hmm. that he left the legacy of like, you're all better than what you currently are. I think that was, that, that was essentially the, um, the ethos of his message is that we're all capable of being more knowledgeable, where capable of a much higher degree of potential than we currently have that that i think is a beautiful legacy to go beyond not not conquering foreign lands not accumulating vast bundles of wealth that i'll never really know how to spend i think all of those things might get you some footnotes here and there but they're not going to really create legacy if you if you look at history you'll notice that the people who come out really on top are your philosophers and spiritual leaders, like your Jesus Christ and your Socrates. And those guys were not rich. (laughs) They didn't conquer vast territories, but they had ideas and they had ways of looking at the world that have managed to survive not just hundreds of years, but millennium. So Mm. that's kind of where I, I look at it when I come to legacy. I think people who spiritually and philosophically influence us and fundamentally change the paradigm and the way we think of things, they're the ones that will be remembered because they have the ultimate utility value. Like we're, we're con- like, but what's, what was true in Plato's day is still true in our day. And that's, that's why I think that our philosophers and spiritual leaders tend, tend to do really well by history. Well, you, you nailed that answer. I, mean, you, <laughs> I don't think you could get a better legacy than uh, 
what Socrates has accomplished. That's a pretty damn good legacy. Mine was a little bit more simple, so I don't know if I want to share. Yeah, go ahead. No, that's, that's a good one. I was just no, going to hey, say to make. Like I said, I, I think some grandiose legacies are just as they are grandiose. So sometimes even just being grounded in something more practical might be helpful. So go ahead, my friend. Perfect. Then I'll, I'll in that case, I'll send you the schematics for my monument. It's <laughs> going to take. It's going to take at least 30 years to build, which is at the crack of a whip. So no, no, no. I, honestly, I would just, I would just want to pass on something so that those that come after me, whether it's my kids or my chosen kids, just have it a little bit easier. I think that would, that's a, a good enough legacy for me. It's just make sure my family name doesn't fall into poverty or make sure, you know, my family name isn't wiped out. I think having some sort of helping hand to them. So there's more and more time for people to do more substantial and tremendous things as life goes on. It would probably be the legacy I would choose. I want to focus on this idea of legacy through children because I I look at this in a number of different ways because I, I think that on one hand, that's very beautiful. I think it's really beautiful to have children. And I think it's remarkable to give them a life that you never had or one up and that they, you know, there's this idea, you know, especially there's this idea and it's tied to like the American dream that, you know, your parents come here as immigrants, they work really hard in a restaurant or something, they send you to college and then your children go on to become a part of the professional class, doctors and lawyers, and then their children can have a crack at becoming president and so forth. And there's something very beautiful in that kind of, um, it's almost like a three generational stepladder, right? Of, mm -hmm. of like building, building that up. The only thing that I see, the only um, screw that I see in that whole thing is what happens if you have children that are unwilling to participate in that ladder? And that's, that's what, where I can see a lot of anger and hostility or frustration. You know, you think of the classic example where you had the hardworking immigrant uh, father or mother, and then all their kid wants to be is a rock star. And it's like, they're screwing up your whole, they're screwing up the whole <laughs> paradigm of like, well, I worked really hard and now you're going to go be this and do, you know, it's like, I, I think that's very hard because it, it takes cooperation from your kin to kind of uphold that legacy in some way, you know? And I don't know if that's necessarily the right move to make because we can always control our own behavior. It's a lot harder to control other people's behavior, you know, even if they're our children. Right. But it's not, you know, forcing a job or a career path or any of that on it. I mean, the realities are is that you still need food, water, and shelter to live just fighting for that can be very difficult for some people. So, you know, I'm not saying I'm going to leave a trust fund. That's not my goal. Although <laughs> that would be great. That'd be great for whoever's next, right? You know, say what you want about trust fund kids. I think everyone would be like, yeah, I could use more money. I think a lot of people could agree to that. To take care of basic needs in case someone gets cancer, right? They have something that they can lean on. The feudalistic idea of passing on a specific career track or you know, passing on the crown to the firstborn in order to carry it forward, that doesn't work in a democratic society because I, I believe that what we really focus on is what makes you internally happy and to follow that. So if a kid wants to be a rock star, he can go be a rock star, but he's still got to eat. He's still got to have a roof over his head. And any way that I can help other people take care of that problem is pulling someone out of poverty, whether it's my actual kids or my chosen kids or whomever. It could be 
uh, an organization. It could be a church. It could be just simple homeless people. That would be a nice legacy to pass down. Um, but it's interesting, right? Like the spectrum of legacy. You think about the ancients, for example. I mean, how grotesque are those pyramids? <laughs> right? They pretty are. And you know what's funny is that we tend to only know of King Tut. We, you know, when you press people on other pharaohs, it's kind of an um, um yeah, that other bald guy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> what do they know? They're clearly, clearly, they aren't in my friend circle. <laughs> but it's like it's interesting how legacy also also can become myth. And I wonder where that line is and how gray that line is, because there, there have been writings about specific people or specific uh, events that were supposed to be handed down from one legacy to another that have been completely lost. And I wonder this is why some people veer towards the material to solidify their legacy in the mm. ancients as opposed to the more American way, which is remembering by stories and uh, sharing experiences over a campfire and things like that. Okay, I, I think what you're saying is really important. And I, I, I well, first off, I, I think that people fall into different camps. I think there are some people who fall into the camp of wealth, legacy. This still, it still happens. And then there's others who kind of fall into the camp of like, let me live a good life that makes for a good story. And that's kind of how I will live mm. off. I, I think that the problem with the wealth path is like, yes, I agree with you that if you're a parent, you want to give your kid every single leg up in this world that you can possibly do for them. I 100% agree with you, Alex. However, if that child does not have the right value system, right. well, all of that is going to be a waste. If your inheritance goes for Lamborghinis and frivolous right. parties, you know, like your, your kid is, you know, is going to blow through that money and they're going to be right back at square one. So I think that it, it's like, you want to equip them with the right material leg up in this world, but you're, you're not just giving them nice things for the sake of having nice things. You're trying to give them the material stuff, but also equipped with the correct set of values so that they can kind of prosper. You know, that is um, a critical, critical thing you need to pass down to your, to your children. And that is by far more important than money. I, don't, I didn't mean to come off choosing one or the other. Both, no, but both are incredibly important. I, I, think, mm -hmm. I think you need, you need to have both in order, in, in order to continue, like, I guess, your last name. And it's funny because like, we're men, so we just think of our last name, quote unquote, legacy kind of living on. So maybe even women, <laughs> maybe even women view this completely differently. You know, so... I, I think there's a lot, but I think in the grander narrative of it all, I, I think that since the world would function a little bit better if we were more focused on the Abraham Lincoln kind of stories where we don't really know Abraham Lincoln as being an incredibly wealthy guy, but we know that he did a lot of good stuff, right? And a lot right. of awesome stuff. And I think that's the kind of shift that our more influential and powerful people need to start thinking of like, well, do I want to be remembered as some rich oligarch that was there? Right. Or 
do I want to be remembered as a, a shifter, a person who bettered humanity? Like if we, like I, I always think of the legacy of FDR as being incredibly mm-hmm. important because when we think of social security, you can't help but think of FDR. Now that's right. legacy. When, when your program right. lives on long after you're dead, no one really cares. FDR did happen to be wealthy, but that's, that, that's not really the consequential fact. It's the legacy of the program he left behind that we remember. Yeah, and the the idea of replenishing a middle class, re- re- making sure all that everyone has a chance, that everyone has a pathway towards success if they choose it, and I think that's really following along what I was trying to express is what I think would be the most beautiful legacy. So let's focus on FDR and the idea of a philosopher king, the people who in who embed these values, these principles, this uh, archetype of what it means to be good and to do good and to spread good. I mean, FDR is definitely up there. He's a fascinating character. And he fought so much for, for people that had no promise of monetary return. Like I can imagine how many people in those in those rooms with him when he was making the decisions to create social security to basically bring in all the gold to create the federal reserve. I imagine so many people were telling him, you want this to be your legacy? <laughs> like I can honestly see someone trying to convince him saying, you want this to be your legacy? Well, He's it's, like, it, it's really funny. You're absolutely right, Alex. Um, FDR was actually considered to be a class trader because he was born wealthy. A lot wow. of his, a lot of his, um, the people he grew up with, or, or people in his social circle, thought you're a class trader, my friend. And FDR is like, no, I, I just believe that seventy-year-olds should not have to go out to work fourteen-hour days in factories; that they should have some kind of nest egg, retire on. And I, I think that FDR did not see about becoming wealthier in the short game. He saw about mm. what's my legacy going to be in the long game. That's the kind of thinking that you want. And I think, I, I, you know, I think some of our leaders might be there, but most of them are probably not. They're still thinking about like, oh yeah, 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 you know, if this, if my friends in this oil company, you know, like do, will do well, then I'll get like a kickback. And, and, you know, like that's not the kind of legacy you want to be creating is like kickback oil money or something like that. You want legacy of like, I created something that has, phenomenally made the human experience much better. Wow. I'm, uh, there's so few who have made that, made that leap and succeeded. I mean, do you think we could count five? Do you think we could count five people who really did that? It's, you know, it, it, it's tough. It, it, it really is because the, I, I think that like, you know, I was, reading about like the founding fathers, for example. And mm-hmm. there's two there's two arguments. One is that they were these like products of the enlightenment and they did believe in like a more universal form of suffrage. Um, but then there's also the argument that's made that they were just selfish plantation owners that wanted to get rid of Great Britain so they would have less taxation and, and build up their private wealth. And I actually think that both versions of that story might be true. I, I think yeah, that, exactly. you know, exactly. I, like, I, I, I think that, you know, sometimes your self-interest might also be aligned with the interests of, of humanity in general. But I think that it's you know, as time goes on and we start learning from, from ourselves, 
we, we are all like, like according to Plato, we are all the product of the virtues and value systems in which we as a society cherish, right? So if we cherish wealth, well, that's what we're going to remember. We're going to remember our most wealthiest people, right? Mm. However, if we start changing the value system of the society, Alex, then, then we can start cherishing different people in our world. So I, I would argue that it's all about who it is that we choose to worship. You know, depending on who we worship is who we're going to remember. Well, I would, I would agree with you that they're probably a product of both. I mean, you can't create such an incredible country. I mean, we both have done creative projects. What we know happens is we have the idea. And then after the idea comes this condensing period of putting it into a material reality. So imagine the idea of America and then imagine what it became. So there's, there's got to be some push-pull there, I think. So the, the crafters of the Constitution, the, the, the enlightened members of the colonial states, when they came up with this idea to have the United States, um, they must have been thinking even bigger than this. I also think they were selfish planta- plantation owners as well. But there's just so much weaved into it. And you know this kind of bring, brings up the, the question of how do we remember these kinds of people? Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost like um, a positive negative choice. It's almost like um, a cynicism or a positivity choice. Glass half full, glass half empty. Were the founding fathers selfish plantation owners or were they, what, what, what would you call them, social engineers? Enlightened, you know, you know enlightened yeah, philosophers. Enlightened <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think the idea when we look at historical characters is we're always asking ourselves, were they ahead of the curve or did they have forward momentum? So there might be a lot of ugly, nasty things about them, um, you know, you know, and that might be a product of their time period. But we have to ask ourselves, were they, a, were they generally moving the needle in a positive direction given the times that they lived in? And I think if you can say, because there's always, you know, regressive characters who are actually mm-hmm. pushing the needle backwards. And right. you certainly don't want to remember those folks. You don't want to remember. You don't want to remember Ivan the Terrible, for example, because he's <laughs> like he's he's a guy who's pushing the needle backwards, right? He wasn't he wasn't right. enlightened at all, right? And so you want to ask yourself that fundamental question: is like they had faults. Were those faults a product of their time? However, were they pushing the needle forward? And I think we can evaluate historical figures on that. Moving forward, now now that we've kind of evolved or we've been through so much as a collective civilization, I think the standard becomes higher and higher and higher and higher as we go along here. And I think it's fair to start demanding that people are a bit more virtuous, given the fact that we know so much more and we have a much more evolved understanding of human beings and we have a much more evolved understanding of human worth. So I, I think that that expectation just becomes increasingly more you know, as we go along. Well, you brought up an interesting point here about people who are moving the needle backwards. They still desire to be remembered. I mean, take these statues, for example these Confederate statues that Mm -hmm. we've been tearing down, which I think need to continue to happen. What in their mind makes them think that they should have a statue? Like there's, there's gotta be a reason, you know, there's gotta be something that they believe is enough reason to have them 
immortalized. And I've always wondered what that is. So how subjective is the desire to be remembered or the desire to have legacy? Is it a universal driving factor of human being? Or is it kind of the effervescence of ego in general? Great question, my friend. So they say that there's two things that are unavoidable, unavoidable death and taxes. I think leg legacy is sort of a way to kind of escape death in, in some capacity, right? Because if fear, like we as humans are frightened terribly of death, it, it scares us like no tomorrow. Legacy, however, says, hey, even though you're laying there in the grave, people are going to be talking about you 3000 years from now. And that's, that's almost eternal life. So I think that that eternal life is something that we all secretly strive for to some degree, right? To be remembered, to be spoken about, or just even periodically thought about years from now. And, and like, we have that and, and people try and approach that with whatever tools at their disposal. So for the Confederate um, generals and so forth, they thought that they were going to create a legacy by being the head of the Confederacy. Like that's what Jefferson Davis thought he would be. He thought he would be remembered as, as like the founder, the founding father of some new Southern country or something, you know? And right. People tend not to really think, though, like if Jefferson Davis would have paused and said, hey, my legacy is basically founded in slavery, which is overall a regressive kind of backward system. If he had just paused for a moment and just said to himself, you know, my entire legacy is built on something that's highly horrendous that will probably right. be outlawed 50 years from now he probably would have paused and been like, you know what, maybe this ain't such a great idea. Maybe I should stick to writing. Maybe I should start writing novels or do something else to get remembered because this whole, you know, so that's, that's why I think a lot of people fail is they choose projects, which in the short term think they're going to, to bring them uh, th this like, you know, grandeur, but in the long term, they're going to be remembered as the villains of history. See, I think they think it's the opposite. I really do. I think that they think um, the way their legacy or the way that the truth of the matter gets spread stops in concentric circles, kind of like a bullseye. They're directly in the middle. Maybe the next generation who learns firsthand from their parents about how the atrocities of this one particular person is in the second ring from outside the bullseye. And then the third ring is people who know a little bit less. And then the fourth ring are people who have no idea. And then the fifth ring is like, who, but, or what? And as long as they can confirm that the message is sent between those concentric circles, they win the long game. I think this is what they think. I really do. So I, I think that they believe if I create a statue of myself, immortalizing a, a particular, uh, one particular achievement, all of my atrocities, all of my problems, all the things that I put on the altar in order to achieve said means, will be immediately forgotten because the message is only ringing one way. I, I honestly think that they think that. Y yes. I, I, I think that this, um, I think this is reminding me of like a quote from Stalin where it, he, you know, he says something, I'm paraphrasing. He says something, it's like, it's okay to sacrifice millions for the good of, of the state or something along those lines. So his idea, right. his rationale is that these momentary atrocities are perfectly acceptable if it's if I get if I'm remembered as being the head of this brand new, you know, enlightened state or something like that. However, 
in many ways, like a lot of these leaders are making the false calculation that the horrendous means, and then this goes back to like Machiavelli. Machiavelli, if he was there, would say, hey man, do whatever horrendous means you need to do in order to, you know, solidify your legacy. Don't worry about it. You know, history will validate you and so forth. What we're starting to see now though, is that it won't. Like you will be, sometimes the, the horrendous things that you do actually triumph over whatever it is that you were originally trying to protect, which is what you see with a lot of these these despots and a lot of these dictators, is that they're not actually remembered for like the the flag bearers of communism. They're remembered for the horrible mass graves that they produced. Well, we can thank the printing press for that and radio for that. I mean, I think that was the turning point, right? Machiavelli was what Venice, yeah, the height of Venice, right? Yeah, so there was writing then. Okay, cool. But you still had to have scribes to record everything. So the written word had to be transported on horseback to different cities in order to get that done. So, you know, it made sense then, but absolutely now, thankfully, there is, an, there is a chance for the world to immediately recognize that Hitler invaded Poland, mm-hmm, right? right there, yeah. There, there is an opportunity for a podcast to talk about how the Uyghurs are getting, you know, genocided over in China as we speak. Thankfully, we have this ability. So I guess it's we should split it into two arguments, right? Where the remembrance isn't really, isn't human to human anymore, is it? Right? It's more of like, uh, it's more about um, pieces of information kind of orbiting a human being that make up this collage of what he or she has done, right? Yes, yes. So I, I think that I, I like what you said about this collage of your memory, because the person who's trying to solidify their legacy, I think they make the erroneous mistake of believing that they hold the pen, right? They, they like Stalin or any of these other mm. dictators believed that they held the pen, but they were kind of unaware of all that was being written of them by others, right? All, like any time that one of these people like yelled at somebody, any time that they goofed, any time that they did something wrong, um, someone else was secretly writing that stuff down. And then that, mm. that collage becomes a part of their grander legacy. And it may not have a very positive verdict, you know, like, 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 right. it, it's sort of like, there's a lot of people in our society, Alexander, and it's very two-faced, is that, when they're in front of others, they'll treat you really well. But then when you're alone, they might just like be like, you know, yes. you know, go screw yourself. Cause they think that nobody's watching, right? They think, right. they think no one's watching. I can, I can be my true self. I can be a jerk here. But what they don't realize is that all of these micro things eventually make you become like a pretty crappy boss, you know? So you you always have to be aware of how other people are perceiving you. And that, that also influences your legacy. And it's the same thing. Uh, you know, with, with, with any, anything going on today is always multiple accounts of, of, of what you're doing and how your rule is going. And I think that leaders need to be aware of that, even whether it's for selfish reasons or altruistic reasons. Absolutely. And I think the ones that allow that to occur naturally are typically the better leader because it's that basic, it's, it's the logistics of what you just described. It's, it's not in their control. They're not trying to control that. They're not trying to bend narrative or manipulate or coerce or any of that. They just are focused on the being the example part. And I think this is why Abraham Lincoln is such a tremendous person to remember. 
is because apparently he embodies all of those things. I, he's one of the few people in history I would have loved to meet. I, yes. I, I really do. Yeah. And I, I think with Lincoln is that I think one of the reasons, you know, we have the, the you know, the Lincoln, you know, memorial and not the Tyler memorial is because Lincoln was really focused on how can I do the greatest good for the greatest amount of people? And that's, that's why he sticks with us is because he wasn't focused on building up his personal wealth and he wasn't necessarily focused on building his personal image. In fact, I think there's like what, like one photograph of the guy. Think about that. One photograph of the whole, of the guy ever recorded. Right. You know, so that, that's, that's the kind of amazing, that's what makes him so amazing is that instead of just sitting there and, and, and getting and being there for the photo op, uh, it's like, it, it's like my friend Kenny said just a few episodes ago, he was like, be wary of the guy doing nice things in front of the camera, right? It's mm-hmm. really the guy who's doing nice things when the camera's not rolling that you, that you are going to want to trust. And I Keanu think- Reeves. right and and that's and that's and that's kind of the beautiful things because if you do enough good things without trying to attract attention to yourself attention will probably naturally just come to you anyway the idea of remembering do you think we can brainstorm in terms of what you think that's going to be like a hundred years from now Mm -hmm. well let's let's do this let's i'm curious what in your brilliant mind what you think the the uh I'm glad you think I have a brilliant mind, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I remember. But now that I think about it, do you think that the way that we remember since pandemic has changed everything? Do you think that we've kind of entered this new firmament in terms of how we remember people? Do you think that it's it's kind of lost its foundation and maybe became a little bit more of um, a flimsier concept? I hope. No, I can't say for sure because it's not over. And, you know, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that maybe, just maybe, we want to remember the people during the pandemic who took agency, who made our lives better, who brought laughter into our world, who really, you know, did everything in their power to protect Mm -hmm. as many human beings as humanly possible. One thing that I always find tragic is paramedics are some of the most underpaid people like their, their salaries are extremely yeah. low and, you right. know like some of them some of them make as low as like 25,000 a year you know i'm like if you and when you think about it my friend if that paramedic picks you up the wrong way like if you get hit by a car and he twists your neck you're done for you're paralyzed for life so that's how important that job is so i'm hoping that in the the pandemic has kind of maybe shifted our focus a little bit to not focus so much on the sports athlete, to not really focus as much on the billionaire mogul, but to focus really more on the people that are bringing value into our lives and, and really and really making the human condition all that much more better. So I think, I think if we can start it and, you know, we don't have to just focus on lay people. We could also focus on powerful people, but we should be questioning like I, I think, I think it's a travesty how much we remember and worship and idolize sports athletes. It's like, okay, you kicked that ball into a net, or you, you know, you threw a basketball through a hoop. Great, fa- fa- fantastic. But what have you done to like uplift the human condition? 
That's where our, I think our minds need to start focusing on a little bit more is like, and that's that's what I mean by value system. Our, our value, like we value people like Michael Jordan or whatever, who have great physical presence and have made a, a you know, a, a multimillionaire, if not billion, billion dollar empire for themselves. But we need to start pausing a bit more and saying, well, how is that uplifting the human condition in some way? And mm. I, I hope that that's a takeaway that we get from the pandemic. Man, that'd be wonderful. That'd be great if we could pay those pen, uh, pay those paramedics more, if we could even increase the salary of a soldier. I mean, I, I heard recently what they make per year. Scary to risk your life to do such a thing and get very little out of it besides the service to your country and the pride that would be fantastic if we shifted our focus to support the, the pillars of the very things that hold up this nation yes yes i i think that that and and the thing the, the argument i'm going to make here is that i think we have reached a level where we are enlightened enough to know these things like I, I, you know, like maybe in the past, we were like, oh, we're ignorant to the, you know, I'm like, there's been enough communication, there's been enough philosophy, and there's enough thought, we can, st we know, deep down, what is the right thing to be doing. We know, mm -hmm. we know, deep down, who are the right people to be worshiping, we know, deep down, who are the good people amongst us. So, I think that because we have that knowledge, we all have that knowledge, and we all have that ability to recognize greatness and goodness when we see it. It's just a question of acting upon it and, and seeing what's right before us. So do you believe, would you, would you put faith in humanity um, to make those choices? Or would you say that your belief in humanity is a little bit darker and that people have known for a long time, but have decided to not reinforce it regardless? That's a, that's a, that's a million dollar question, Alex. M million dollar yeah. question. Um, if you talk to Pinker, he'll tell us that we're just becoming better human beings and, and more humane. Others might say, no, we're only nicer to each other because we have giant nuclear warheads pointed at one another. And that, yeah. that kind of makes us want to get along and so forth. To, to, be, quite, to be quite honest, I think that there can be a selfish component to this as well. And, and hear me out on this, okay? If the goal is to create legacy and to be remembered, all we have to really do is just change the rules of that system. So instead of saying, hey, uh, we're going to remember Michael Jordan because he's really wealthy and gifted athletically, if we change the rules of the game and say, we're going to remember this person who was super altruistic and super nice mm. and made a lot of sacrifices. Like, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, someone who's going to be remembered long after Michael Jordan is probably a person like Jesus Christ, because his, his, his legacy is altruistic sacrifice, right? Like, you know, mm -hmm. as, whether, whether you're religious or not religious, he's basically known as, and the same thing with Socrates, right? Like they are known for making altruistic sacrifices. So in the long game, the people who made the incredible altruistic sacrifices, they get to live on for millenniums. Mm -hmm. Whereas the people like Michael Jordan, well, he'll be cool and popular in the 90s and 2000s, but then are we still going to be talking about Michael Jordan 150 years from now? Probably not, my friend. So if we start teaching people about the long game, then I think that their behavior will start pivoting and shifting because 
you know, that there is a selfish component to it. I'm not going to lie here, but we can use that selfishness for good. Well, I hope people remember that. <laughs> I do. I do too, Alex. I, I hope, I hope they take, you know, I, I hope that they take this time as we enter a new year to start reorient, reorienting themselves, especially, and here's the key thing, my friend, once we get out of this lockdown, it's really tempting to just go back to the bars and just go back to the person you were. It's a lot more difficult to become the person you were always meant to be. Alex, thank you so much for being on the show today. Anytime. This concludes the 102nd episode of the Truth Island Podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.